Everyone's favorite inebriated mouse is back in the house. I'm a rock star now. I can feel it. Hard boozing and metal as What f the hell? We're cranking the weird all the way up. You hear this guy? What's he saying, dude? I don't know. I don't have ears. 12 Ounce Mouse, season three, premieres July 20th at midnight, only on Adult Swim. Whatever that was, I want to know what it was. Bottoms up. Welcome back to Owls Only, the Adult Swim podcast. I'm your host, Bryce Hope, and I know how to play You Give Me $40. And I'm here with my co-host. I'm Hunter, and did you know that radar spelled backwards is radar? You're thinking about it, ain't you? Um, so as you notice, this is not Alex, but this is we're doing sort of a different format now. So Alex is still going to be on the show, but it's he's going to be like on things that he's already seen or knows more about. And I'm going to have Hunter here help me some episodes that he knows more about. And sometimes we'll do the show alone. Sometimes we'll have like guests come on and stuff. But yeah, so this is sort of the new format of the show. So Hunter, I want to start a new segment where I try to tell whoever I'm with um, what happened on Animation Domination this week without looking it up. So are you ready for this? I'm ready. That sounds fun. Okay, so... If I remember correct, so the animation domination lineup right now is like Simpsons, Great North, Bob's Burgers, Family Guy. Simpsons was about like Flanders trying to um, – it was like Flanders gets involved with like the mob and like Fat Tony, which I feel like it's impossible they haven't done that before, but I guess they haven't. Um, oh, Great North is going to be the hardest one in all these episodes. Great North uh, was like, I think the dad needed to like buy a new bed or something. And the kids were all telling him like different stories. It's a very Bob's Burgers script. Um, Bob's Burgers. Fuck. Oh, okay. Bob's Burgers was um, this guy who like was rowing in a in, like a rowboat from like New Zealand to like, I don't know, some other part of the world. And he stops in like Wonder Wharf for like a burger and he takes a bite of the burger and realizes that he doesn't want to go back out to sea. And so they have to like convince him to go back out to sea. Otherwise it'll look like Bob like made him not like continue on his journey. It was weird, but it was good. And then family guy, um, it was a wild West episode. You know about wild West, right? Yeah. It was about, um, wild West reconnecting with his dad. Um, they go to the giant chicken's house, but we don't actually see him. So that sucks. I want more to the giant chicken, but yeah, that's my, that's my Anadom recap. I feel like it's going to get harder because as as the season goes on. But um, so today we're talking about a very important show to us. I'd say this is like the foundation of our friendship. Don't you think? Yeah. We're talking about 12 Ounce Mouse. And so this is, um, God, it's, it's kind of hard to start because there's so much to like dive into. So 12 Ounce Mouse is created by Matt Malero of like Aqua Teen Hunger Force fame. And it's kind of, like, infamous for being, like, people say it's the worst-looking Adult Swim show, but it's really not. It just looks different, I think. It's very, like, it's very, like, it's all sketches. Like, they did, um, like, they did Rhoda on the back of, like, a Perfect Care Forever script. And it looks very childish, but I think there is an actual, there's a, I think all the characters in the show look cute. Don't you think? 
there's definitely like a lot of charm to the art style and once you know the tone and the humor of the show you like kind of realize there's no other way they could draw it and have it work yeah like i think these i think these characters are adorable like even the ones that are like horrifically creepy i think they're like adorable and i think that a lot of um i, I think that a lot of shows on adults even on adult swim i think a lot of shows look worse than this and the show definitely gets like a bad rap because it is i don't think it, i don't even think it looks bad i think it looks different you know yeah i never thought the show looked bad i always liked how it looked and also um as so matt malero his sort of design philosophy on 12 ounce mouse was that he didn't want to make everything look shittier he wanted to make it look like something you've never seen before which i think is very interesting and you even see that like that continues over to season three because like um there's like a scene when they're fixing the like the castle thing and they open up like the engine and inside it's just like a burnt chicken wing and they take it out and put like a fresh chicken wing in there like you don't you get it it's interesting because like it's not um they don't like outright tell you it's the power core but like you get it and i like that i like that about this show is that like it's still it's design philosophy is interesting but it's not like bad you know what i mean there's a lot of stuff in this show that you just kind of like learn to understand as you're watching it and especially as you rewatch it where they don't directly explain things but if you're paying enough attention you're just like oh i know what's going on kind of mostly yeah this is it's almost kind of like um this is a thing with Fooly Cooly too, where you watch it the first time and you're like, what the fuck is this? But then as you watch it and rewatch it, more and more of it starts to make sense. And I think 12 Ounce, uh, 12 Ounce Mouse is um, definitely much more cryptic. So we can just get right into it. So it's about like um, this mouse named Mouse Fitzgerald who loves guns, booze, and anarchy, as it says on the back of the Region 4 DVD. And... Um, He's got his best friend, which is a little, like, um, chinchilla clip art thing named Skillet. And they just kind of, it starts off with them doing odd jobs for this creepy shark and, like, this square guy. But then the show starts to get into, like, Fitz has memories of, like, a wife and a child and stuff like that. And then you start to kind of notice that, like, oh, wait, everyone here is, like, scared of something, but you don't know what. And then, like, you know... There's a clock that starts, like, spewing time gas that, like, makes people, like, um, it, does it wipe their memories or does it just make them, like, complacent? It just makes them do, like, whatever the context of the scene is. It makes them do whatever Shark wants, like, when Fitz, like, burns the papers. Yeah, like, Fitz is, um... Fitz finds like these papers and then the clock appears and gasses him and then he starts like burning them and he doesn't know why because like the gas it's 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 basically like mind control gas essentially but um so it's fucking insane because there is truly nothing else when this came out there was really nothing else like this on TV and I think that this show has really changed like I see we we see shades of Twelve Ounce Mouse in so much of what's on TV right now. Like I remember, remember when Wandavision came out? Yeah. Like the first couple episodes of Wandavision remind me of Twelve Ounce Mouse in a way. And like another show that I really think reminds me of um, Twelve Ounce Mouse is Severance, the Apple TV um, Plus show, which is about like um, severing like your memories between like work and. Um, and like your home life it's that show very much reminds me of mouse even like a design philosophy because all the backgrounds in mouse at least in the first two seasons are very like 
white, you know, they're just kind of like very simple, like white backgrounds. And they do that with, um, they do that in severance too, with like all the hallways and stuff are white. But um, so yeah, this is, so it's sort of about like, it's about mouse trying to figure out like what's going on in this town and at the same everyone's got their own agenda which is interesting and um i think i think mouse's voice is one of the greatest voices like ever you know like yeah go ahead one time when i was trying to explain this show i think i might have even been making a joke to you i boiled it down to like the most basic description this is a show about a guy walking around asking questions that is very true and i think that um because matt malero does the voice for mouse and i listened to um those like live shows he did in 2020 during like covid and stuff where he talks about like you know the genesis of the show basically and his voice it was originally like scratch dialogue like they were only doing it because like it was like they're doing like animatics essentially and they didn't and they wanted to get someone to like really voice him but then like his voice was so perfect they just kept it and i love it because i can't imagine bits with a different voice we do get him with a different voice and i don't like it at all because they do seth green and i hate it even though i i've grown i've grown i've been I've gr it's grown on me, but I really did not like Seth Green Fitz when that first came out. But um, yeah, Fitz's Fitz's voice is very iconic. It's it's just so good. So we do eventually learn through like the context the show gives you, and also Matt con Matt confirms this on like these sort of live show things. But um, the basic concept of this show is that. All these characters worked on something called the Box of Worlds, which is sort of like Matt describes it as a cardboard box with like, you know, 222 other cart smaller cardboard boxes inside it that all contain like it's their own worlds, basically. And these worlds were originally used to for like, you know, like purposes of like farming and stuff. So they have sustainable food sources, but eventually like the antagonist, um, the clock slash shadow slash industry man puts all our characters inside and they're like trapped. They all have like various different levels of memory. Everything is very hazy and it's sort it's just sort of about them trying to get out essentially. And um, yeah, so that's, do you have anything else about that? Or well, like what you think the general show is about? Um, Something about the storyline of the show is in one of the interviews that Matt did, like, earlier on. He said that they didn't have really any, like, idea for where the story was going to go until episode three. And if you watch it, you can really tell, like, the first two episodes are, like, pure nonsense. And then episode three, he starts having, like, the flashbacks with his wife and kid. And he talks to Rooster, and Rooster starts talking about Muff and everything. Yeah, the first two are very shitposty. Like, the first two are sort of, like, an Aqua Teen, Perfect Hair Forever, like, very shitposty. But then, like, when episode three starts, it starts off with, like, Fitz having a dream about, like, his daughter being born. And it's like, oh, this is a different show, like, immediately. And, yeah, so... Let me just go through, like, all the characters. Rooster, voiced by, um... He's voiced by the main singer of uh, Nine Pound Hammer which is who does the theme song for this show. And they also did, um, they did the credit song for the Aqua Teen movie. Like the, it's called Carl's theme. I think they do that song, which is great. Um, so 
so Rooster is voiced by like the lead singer of Nine Pound Hammer. And do you do you think Rooster knows the most out of everyone in this show? Like he knows the most about what's going on. I think he knows the most and also cares the least where he's just like resided on his corn dog farm and he's just like fuck everything. I know I'm stuck here. I'm just sitting here with my corn dogs and chilling. Yeah, I like that. I like that interpretation. Um so Rooster definitely knows a lot about what's going on, but also so Rooster talks a lot about someone named CJ Muff, who we don't really see until like the end of season two, when um, Liquor, another character, goes down to like these sewers, and you see like the you see like this floating orb come out of like Rooster's corpse, I think, and it's and Liquor calls him Muff, and then in season three, another character tells Rooster that he is CJ Muff. But then also in season three, we hear Muff's voice for the first time, and it's George Lowe, aka Space Ghost. So I don't know I don't I don't know what's going on here with um and also apparently Muff's real name is Birmingham, whatever the hell that means. Um what do you think is what do you think is going on about like Muff and um and like Rooster? I think Muff or Birmingham was someone who was working on this box of worlds, and I think he was kind of a whistleblower for when, like, I'm assuming when, like, Rectangular Businessman came in and, like, with all of his money, I'm assuming that's around the point things started becoming corrupt, and they weren't, like, doing it to benefit people, they were doing it for profit, and I think he like goes on Q109, which I think is his, a lot of I thinks here, because that's like a lot of what's speculating about the show boils down to is just theories. Yes. But I think um he goes on his like Q109 radio station and he like whistle blows and tries to tell people what's going on with the box of worlds and like shit industries and everything. And also another big important piece of lore that we get that I forgot about is that um in season three, they say that, Q109 is the guy who figured out how to use like sound waves to make time stand still. So I think that um I think what's going on with this is that um Muff slash Birmingham slash Rooster was um he was like a he was like a radio guy, but he was like super, super smart and he used like time he figured out how to use like time like radio waves to make like time stand still. And I think that is also, they probably tried to get him in on the box of worlds and he probably like whistleblowed like some of it on, could have been on the radio and they put him like inside the box with like everyone in Fitz's division as we see, because um, what, a big thing that they really want to make clear, especially in the Invictus special was that everyone in Fitz's division got put inside the box of worlds. Like that is very, like, that is very clear is that um, everyone who worked with Fitz got like put in there, but um. Yeah, so that entire thing is insane. Um, so also another thing about this show is that this show fucking came back. Like this show, um, we got into the, when did you get into the show? Tell me about when you got into this show. I got into the show around like 2015 or 2016 when I was in 11th or 12th grade. We we're basically a friend who hadn't and still hasn't seen the whole thing has said he's caught random episodes of it on really late at night and it's really funny and there's like some kind of story to it so there was a youtube video that was like every episode and it was in really low quality and oh i, missed I that watched 
I watched that video and became obsessed with the show, there were two moments that really hooked me. One moment is in the first episode where Mouse is like getting run over by cars in the street and then he talks and he talks with the woman's voice and he says like, watch out and it's his mouth moving but the woman talking. And I thought that was like the funniest thing ever when I first saw that. And then what got me more into the story of the show is the scene where it's like rooster golden joe and peanut cop are all on his farm and they're all talking and rooster is like singing about how he lost his arm and then he explains how i think the shadow man like came and like took him and took his arm and like threw him into the box of worlds and then fits like interrogates everyone with a gun and tries to like Explain that he feels like he was ripped from somewhere else and he's asking them if they feel that and then as it, that seems getting really interesting the new guy comes and starts like his song because the show can't like give away too much at once i fucking love that entire scene and also something that i um noticed after a few rewatches is that when rooster is explaining like how he got put it rooster is explaining i think how he got put into the box of worlds he says like um this featureless thing is in like a room painted white and it grabs him and starts pushing him toward a fan. And we see that room later on in season two because um, Peanut Cop is like, Peanut Cop is captured by like the shadowy guy and he's in that room with like the the room painted white with the giant fan, which, I, and also Rooster talks about like, um, he gets shot with something that paralyzes him. And this is also when the shadow guy is just like shooting um, peanut cop with a bunch of tranquilizer darts that aren't like do anything to him but making him high but um yes i love that i love that entire scene that's that's probably one like maybe my favorite scene in the whole show when they're with that entire scene when they're talking about like what's actually going on at um at rooster's house but yeah i have a similar story um because i was just always trying to watch everything that adults have ever made and I remember getting super into 12 Ounce Mouse through the Adult Swim message boards. And those are still up. So like in 2015, I think, um, I got super into it. I got super into the DVD because the DVD is like a huge part. It's a huge part of our friendship, I think, the 12 Ounce Mouse DVD. Because um, it's very rare. It's one of the DVDs that was only made for the Adult Swim shop in like the um, late 2000s. And so it's very hard to get a hold of. And I was trying to get a hold of it for years so i eventually won it on a twitter contest from classic swim wonderful account but um yeah the 12 months mouse dvd is super rare it's edited into a movie with no chapter select so you have to watch it just straight and then it also comes with like a shitload of like promos behind the scenes stuff and also if you hold it under a black light there's like the out the characters like their outlines of skeletons on them it's crazy it's one of the best i think it's I think this is one of the best Adult Swim DVDs ever. What do you think? I agree. It's definitely one of the best DVDs they put out. And to add to that black light thing, apparently there are letters hidden inside everyone's like skeletons. And there was an email address that you could like decipher from that. And if you emailed it, you won a prize. But I've never heard what the prize was. I don't think anybody figured it out, which is crazy. Um... So how, when, when did you get the DVD? Like, how much did you pay for the DVD? Because this is also an interesting little thing here. I think I got the DVD around 2017, and I got a really good deal for it. I only paid 60 for it, where now I almost never see it going for any less than 100 I saw it for, like, 80 the other day, and I was I almost considered buying it just so I could, like, have a backup. I was like, hmm, should I do this? But I didn't. But, um, so I... 
got the region four DVD when I was in high school, which is like the Australian release, which is a fold out and like the fold out. Cause the original, the American version is just like a, just like a DVD you get at like target for like a movie that came out. It's just like a two disc, like, you know, like snap case, but I got the region four, like fold out, which has like, it's pretty much just like white bricks, but then like, um, where the discs are, they have like the drawings of their skeletons and stuff. So it's kind of like that. But, um, and like I said, I won the, um, and then I, like a year later, I won the DVD in a like Twitter contest from, um, Classic Swim. But yeah, I think this, this DVD is incredibly important. I think it's probably one of the best pieces of my Adult Swim collection. Um, the cover art is fan art, which is crazy because there's this, I'm blanking on their name, which I feel really bad about, but, um, they have a fan art segment on the DVD and it's just like this person who does these like wonderful, like, paintings of these 12 ounce mouse characters and one of them is like it's like the it's like the last supper with like all the mouse characters and they made that the dvd cover which is crazy because that's like that's like the definitive mouse image you know what i mean like that is the mouse image is like this dvd cover there's no words on the cover either it's it's just the last supper painting and i love it it's so, it's beautiful you know there's also a fan art reel on the dvd and it has more of his paintings on that reel yeah, yeah, like it, there's um, like there's more of his stuff on there, he, and he, he also he's still making them. Actually, I don't know what their pronouns are, but they're still making them. Like they did um, I know I've seen one of like Busby, who's only a character in the revival. So like they were still making them, like like when the revival came out, which is fucking awesome. And I yeah, it's great. But um, yeah, it's the DVD is super important to us. Um, but yeah, so this show gets to come back which is crazy because the show gets the show runs from 2005 to 2006 and gets canceled because that's this is like the era when adult swim would have literally like eight new shows in one night you know they'd have like okay here's new episodes of like venture aquatine metal 12 ounce mouse moral oral metal like um frisky dingo robot chicken squid billies like they're just throwing all this shit at you and it was sort of they're kind of seeing like what sticks and what didn't and unfortunately, Mouse does get canceled after the second season, um, which it does get cut down, which I noticed. Um, because I'm pretty sure Matt said that he had like he had ideas to keep it to like keep the story going, you know, but it gets cut down. Um, it's seemingly like almost right in the middle of the climax because um, we're just hopping all around, but that's fine because like this is the only way to talk about this show. Um, because towards the end of like the show, it looks like what they're building towards is that they're trying to get to the river to make it through quote the upfalls to get out. But then Skillet gets killed and Mouse stops caring about everything, and that sort of like changed the direction of the show. And so um we never really get to see like what was going to happen because like like I said, the entire direction of the show gets changed because um like mouse kind of fucks off after skillet dies and starts playing like a pinball machine inside like this um inside like a like diner got like destroyed by like all the you know chaos and then this being called archaeus or chaos comes down and like fixes everything like she fixes literally everything and tells fitz that he has to like um save skillet essentially and also so this is not lost media i thought it might have been but this, the first sort of hint that we got that 12 Ounce Mouse was coming back was in 2017 on April Fool's. They, um, so not the Rick and Morty one, the one before that, where they were doing, um, they were doing like, 
sound effects on every show. You know what I mean? Where it's like, um, you remember this, right? Is that the one where Aqua Teen had the robot voices? Yeah, like Aqua Teen and the robot voices. They put like Seinfeld, like slap bass on like Bob's Burgers and stuff like that. They put like laugh tracks on like Family Guy. Like it was just that kind of stuff. It was, it was, I remember, I remember being very underwhelming at the time, but that's because they had like, you know, the Rick and Morty season three premiere the next night, which was like the real prank that year. But, um, but something very interesting is that they were not airing Mouse in DVR theater at this point. Um, DVR theater, if you don't know, is, I'm not sure you know, but like other people, um, DVR theater is like their little block they have at 4 a.m. where they air like weird shit. And like, they air like a lot of old stuff there at this point. But um, they were not airing Mouse in DVR theater, but, the, but Mouse was on the schedule. So I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And we don't get like anything new except all of Archaeus's, Archaeus's lines are spoken because in the actual episode it's just like piano keys but the lines are spoken in this and that was almost kind of like the first inkling we got of like i wonder if they're doing more with this you know yeah that was really exciting to see at the time that they just put involved it in the prank because it was interesting. And then like um like a year later on development meeting, which is like the Adult Swim stream show where they kind of show like um people they take pitches, but every once in a while they show like stuff the network's working on. They just like showed a new clip of 12 ounce mouse and everyone was like, uh, what the fuck? And so we found out they're making a special along with the Harvey Birdman special. So that's the half hour special Invictus. And apparently the genesis of this is that um Matt is like Mike Lazo came to like that Matt Malero and was like, you guys should do an Aqua Teen special. And they were working on the Aqua Teen special and it kind of fell through. And then um Matt was like, How about 12 Ounce Mouse? And so they did the 12 Ounce Mouse special Invictus, and Lazo loved it so much that he greenlighted a third season immediately. So like it's crazy that out of all the shows that like you know could have gotten revived that we do get more 12 ounce mouse out of everything and i love it because it does feel like something that could not happen under anywhere except for like lazo era adult swim like the fact that there is a third season of 12 ounce mouse is a fucking miracle you know just the special alone feels like a miracle i remember when they did the clip on development meeting it's literally just fits playing with a yo-yo and he does a bunch of funny shit with it and then his neck stretches like a giraffe and eats some leaves that clip blew my mind it was like a nothing clip but it blew my mind and it was so amazing to see it was fucking crazy it was like insane and also it was something that um this is a very underappreciated show and I, it does have a very small but dedicated fan base. And I think that, like, if if you were, like, a fan of this show, it felt like Adult Swim was speaking directly to you. Like, like we know you wanted more of this. It just blew my – like I said, it blew our fucking minds when it happened. But, yeah, Invictus comes out. Um, I like Invictus. You are, I think you like it more than I do. You, you definitely like it more than I do. But Invictus is very good. It's sort of like – um. It's kind of like a goodbye to the old version of the show and also like a sort of like a soft reboot of sorts, you know? What yeah. Invictus. Your on Victus? Invictus is one of my favorite things Adult Swim has put out. It might possibly even be my favorite episode of Mouse if it counts as an episode. Yeah, I can't but, um. I think it sort of, like, wraps up, like, some stuff in the original series. Like, there's a scene where, like, 
Busby the Bee and Fitz basically break down and explain directly to the audience a lot of the plot of the show. And seeing that scene for the first time was really satisfying for me. Because it was like, oh, I was right about this, this, and this. And then all this stuff is new to me and it's all crazy. Yeah, at this point, we had been like... We'd been theorizing about this for like a good couple of years by the time the special came out. So like it was literally like watching everything we talk about get validated on live TV, which is insane. Um, the special does do two things that I don't like. Um, they do have um, Seth Green voicing Fitz, which I, I've i become softer on it because there's a whole third season. But I hated it when it came out because like part of the huge appeal of the show to me is like just Matt's voice as Mouse. And I think getting having him be Seth Green for like half of it kind of annoyed me, but it's it's fine. It's not bad. But um, the only thing I don't like they did is um, I feel like a core aspect of getting you hooked on this show is like Fitz's memories of like his wife and daughter. And they um, they have Busby tell him that like his wife didn't exist. And then she's never really brought up again for the for like the rest of the revival. And I don't know. I mean, I I think it's fine. I think they don't want to keep on harping on that and they wanted to do like different stuff. But I'm also like, damn, that's kind of like, you know, one of my favorite parts of the whole show was like Fitz's memories of like his like, you know, family and stuff. And I feel like that really helps get you invested in him in him as a character beyond like a funny like shit post character. You know what I mean? Did they ever confirm outside of the show that his wife was actually fake? Because I know there's some like intentional misdirection in the show where characters will say things that either make no sense on purpose or are flat out wrong. I don't I I listened to like all the um interview stuff they did um to prepare for this and they don't mention his wife at all which is annoying but um i think the some of the scenes with his wife are like some of the best scenes in the entire show like do you like one of my favorite ones is in like the season two premiere they're like putting him through like all these different like um simulations and stuff or he's kind of like reliving memories and he's talking to um his wife and she's trying to get him to put on like the bow tie and he's like, it's late, I'll put it on tomorrow. And she's like, the morning was too late. And she keeps on talking and Fitz just kind of looks at her and goes, was? It's fucking, it's it's so good. It's insane. Like, I'm. that's that's one of the big moments for me where I'm like, oh, I love this show. You know what I mean? Like, go, go ahead. That um that scene has some really interesting dialogue immediately afterwards where rectangular businessmen says facades of this expense are becoming unpopular of my investors, which possibly plants the seeds of his wife being fake even in the original show, or it could just also mean something completely different. Yeah, I get that, but at the same time, I don't understand why they do that you know I mean, unless they're just straight up torturing him for no reason but um i think the memory where he gets the binoculars is the real memory and the bow tie version of it is them fucking with his mind trying to accomplish something okay yeah i like that i like that a lot but yeah i just remember that scene where he, like because she keeps on talking and he's just like was it's so creepy it's so effective and because like it's just so good and there's another really good scene like that um it's very random where like it just kind of goes inside like a speaker and there's like two little like lights in the speaker that light up based on who's talking and it's like Fitz talking to his wife and she and she wants him to quit and he's like I can't quit and she's like why and he's like just because if I do they'll kill me 
and then they'll come and kill you and it's and just fucking crazy like i i just all that stuff is like super super heavy on like why it's part it's one of the main reasons why the show like hooked me which is why it does kind of like it rubs me the wrong way if they like decanonize that but it's i think that you know i, I if they do decan if they did decanonize it like officially like that's fine there's still plenty of great stuff in the show that gets me invested it's just i love every single scene with his wife because it's so interesting it's so creepy like when they do that stuff that feels like that's when it feels the most like like severance to me you know what i mean like that's when i'm like oh this is like this feels like a prestige drama you know it's just i feel it's just i feel like this show i mean it did come out like it did come out in quotes today like two years ago but like um i feel like this show would be received would be like viewed differently if it started today as opposed to in 2006 because if this show came out today because a lot of adult swim is parody parodying tv like a lot of adult swim is taking tv that you know or like genres of tv that you know and just like doing it doing like that but adult swim you know what i mean like a lot of Tim and Eric stuff is like public access TV, but Adult Swim. Like Solve the Moment is like Star Trek type sixties like um sci-fi shows, but Adult Swim. And um, this to me, I feel like if it came out today, this would feel like a parody of like the Severance True Detective genre of like Prestige TV, where it's just like characters that have like it's just like very cryptic everyone seems to know more than they're letting on and stuff like that but like it's also still very william street it's very adult swim with like all the jokes and stuff and i just love it there's nothing else like it on tv it's so good but um it's just yeah that, that's something that i think about where i do feel like that it could be um it could be very much seen as like a parody of that type of tv but no it just did it first like it really just did it before true detective before severance before like you know i mean it, its biggest inspiration is is obviously like twin peaks and all of like david lynch's stuff because it's very like david lynch type show but um i just fucking love it i just love mouse so much i was but... just gonna bring up the parody aspect where it's obviously like a parody of like mystery dramas and stuff like twin peaks and the matrix but while it's a parody of that it's also genuinely one of those shows at its core at the same time that's what's so fun about it and that and that's what makes it um that's something that i think a lot of people don't understand about adult swim is that i feel like it definitely gets dismissed as like oh that's like the um it's like the stoner dick joke network but like all these shows even if they are doing like the things that start as parodies that like venture brothers or moral oral or 12 ounce mouse but like a lot of these people like fall in love with these characters and it becomes an actual part of that genre just like something that's also funny you know what i mean like the venture brothers is like the the venture brothers is like the best superhero television show ever made it's just also funny and it's also and that's just like the difference there and this is like one of like no other show i mean no other show is like this because every other show will eventually reveal all its cards to you i think but this doesn't and because of that no other show has really kept me like picking at it longer than this has you know like that's no, no other mystery show 
that's something about Invictus where for every question it answers, and Invictus in season three in general, for every question it answers, it raises like 10 more. Like the box of worlds explains so much, but it also adds so, like, a, so many layers of depth and like mystery to it like how does this work how do they like go from world to world what different areas are individual worlds i think another thing about this show that i noticed when i was watching season three is that um i think that a, that a lot of because it is kind of implied that the box of worlds got lost inside one of the worlds which is doesn't seem to make sense but also i kind of think about the futurama episode the farms with parabox best futurama episode by the way where the ending of that is like their box like they just they just own a box that contains their own universe and you don't question it because it's futurama and they explain it to you and i think like a lot of 12 ounce mouse operates on similar logic where like if this is on futurama they'd explain it to you and you get it and you just accept it but because they don't take the time to explain it to you because all the characters already know basically then you kind of like what is like what is this like this doesn't make sense but like it does make sense they just won't like it it, it would make sense if they told you they just won't tell you because they want you to like be smart enough to figure it out on your own essentially I also have a theory about season three where not the story of it, but more so the production. I think some people complain about the pacing of season three that like they don't accomplish enough and stuff like the jet ski scene like takes so long for them to get the jet skis out of the building. I think when they were making season three, I think that they the like Matt and everyone maybe thought they had a squid billies type deal where as long as Mike was around he was just gonna keep green lighting them for more and more so I think they made season three with the mindset of we're going to get to do a lot more after this so let's take our time because season three just ends very abruptly with no conclusion to anything whatsoever yeah season three does it really does feel like that like they're going to make it does feel like they're setting up for a season four which unfortunately does not happen because um, we're not allowed to have anything nice. Um, but yes, I really do. F I, I watching that last night, I really do feel it a lot. It does feel like part one of like a new story because season three feels entirely different from the first two seasons. It's very, it's a, it's like there's a lot of similar elements, but it's a very different show and I feel like um, I do love season three. I think it's a miracle it got to exist, but I do like it a lot less than the original run because I do feel like it does get rid of a lot of the core elements that I loved about the original run. Like um, the the core base elements to me that to like hook me on this show is like Mouse has like, like what makes Mouse an endearing character or like humanizes him are these two aspects. It's the fact that he has like a wife and a daughter that he, that he has like some memories of and the fact that he has a genuinely sweet relationship with Skillet because they're like buds like Skillet is like his buddy and like um it's it's a very sweet relationship and they do they do split up Mouse and Skillet for most of season three but then when they get back together in the end they don't even have a scene when they reunite which very much annoys me but I feel like if they had a season four they would have done that you know Something else that I feel like is missing from season three is some of, like, the awkwardness and some of the, like, humor from the original two seasons where 
I don't think season three isn't funny at all. It has a lot of bits that get me, like, with the eye, like, getting the extra pliers and the credits joke, the eye slaying, like, the dragons and everything. A lot of Golden Joe's dialogue. Golden Joe's fucking amazing in the revival. Like, he's talking about where he's like, where's my jacked up wife at? I fucking love that so much. It's so funny. But, um, yes, I think... Matt, des- Matt, interestingly enough, Matt describes season three as more serialized and serious than the first two seasons, which I thought was interesting. But um, yes, it's very, um, there's a, they're doing a lot. There's a lot of new characters. We essentially also, I think like, a, like half of the show in the original run was um, Shark and Rectangular Businessman. I talked about on the Frisky Dingo episode where I think Adam Reed is one of my favorite voice actors ever. And he is fucking incredible in this show as the shark like one of my favorite scenes is when he's talking to um rhoda and it's basically intimidating i think rhoda uses she her pronouns right i think um they like like switch they switch back and forth like there's a scene where shark is talking to rectangular businessman and he's like if you hurt her yeah rhoda's a rhoda's a gender fluid icon but um so, like, when Shark is, like, intimidating Rhoda, he's, like, talking about, he's talking about, like, how easy it would be to, like, burst his head in his mouth like a kidney. And it's just, it's, and he's, and like, he's giving this incredibly, like, threatening speech. And he's just like, but we're friends, right? And it's fucking, like, it would not feel out of line in, like, a drama. And it's, like, it's so, it's such a great performance. Like, Adam Reed is probably one of my, is one of my favorite voice actors of all time. He's amazing in this show. And he's in Invictus, the special, but they unfortunately lose him because in 2019, he retires because he stops writing Archer and he doesn't do anything but voice act for Ray sometimes on Archer. Which is, I understand, like, if I was Adam Reed, like, he got to just go live in California, like, um, North Carolina, and just kind of, like, fuck off, which is, like, awesome. Like, it's 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 awesome that he gets to do that, because he created, like, one of the most successful, like, cable sitcoms of the 2010s. So, like, good for him, but also, I, he's not in season three, they replace him with, I think, Ned Hastings, and he's he's good as shark but i do i you really really miss adam reed and because of that shark and rectangular businessman are like they have like two scenes combined in season three they're really not in it at all which does it is it does feel like a huge part of the show was lost you know another thing with voice actors in season three is that Dana Snyder voices Bubsy the Bee and Invictus, but people, as to my knowledge, people aren't able to figure out if it's him or like someone impersonating his voice in season three because they don't credit him. I think we, I think we ended up figuring out that it is, it is Dana Snyder, but they just, he just can't be credited for some reason. There is, there's some. I think Dana is like an actual fucking um actor. And he's sorry that that sounds mean. Like everyone's an actual actor, but like Dana's Dana's part of like this. I think he's part of like the Screen Actors Guild or something now because he's in like Disney Channel shows. And so I think that Twelve Months Mouse. Part of the reason you can get get stuff like this made is because they don't have to pay residuals. And so that's when I feel like when people who have like you know know their people who are like actually able to like get their you know fucking like screen actors guild stuff and act and get paid for stuff when they come back to do this william street stuff they do because they love it a lot of the times they do have to just like do it under like a like a pseudonym like Patton oswald is all, all over 12 all over like aqua team he's always doing it under like a different name and that's what i think is going on here where i think that dana snyder has to like 
use a pseudonym or not be credited to do this show, but he still does it because, like, you know, he built his career off Aqua Teen. Like, he was discovered by, like, Matt Malero and Dave Willis. Who's, he'll do anything for them, basically. But I do think that's why that's why he's not credited in, like, season three, you know? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um. Also, this is not related to 12 Months Mouse. Did you think that Krazar's dad and Ballmaster's Rubicon sounds like Carrie Means? You know what? Now that you say that, I can kind of hear it. Because I, it sounds very Thunderclays to me. It, I, I don't think it is. It should be because Carrie Means is fucking awesome. And it should be and everything. And everyone, everyone who listens to this should donate to him because he's fucking awesome. But um, Carrie Means, it he does Thunderclays. It sounds like Thunderclays and Ballmasters Rubicon when like with Dana Snyder and everything. It's I mean, it sounds like Thunder. It sounds like Thunderclays with his dad. But I don't know. It's probably not. But um. So let's see. There's just there's so much going on with this show. One of my favorite scenes is um one of the one of the best characters in this show is Licker. So Licker is like he's like this little spindly like noodle creature. He's voiced by Matt Harrigan of Fish Center Live fame. And Matt Harrigan has an amazing voice. And I think this also is true on Fish Center, but like to a much less degree because he's just like being himself. But I think Matt Harrigan, he has this really, really good voice where he always he always sounds like he knows more than what he's letting on. You know what I mean? And throughout the run, it's really hard to pin if Liquor is one of the good guys or the bad guys, though towards the end of the show, he leans more towards good, but for most of it, he just seems really neutral. I think Liquor is one of the good guys because he does, he does, he doesn't like the shark. He He's one of the only characters that like openly tells like, like Rectangular Businessman to fuck off. I think Liquor is firmly one of the good guys. I just think he knows, a, I think Liquor could know more than anyone else. He's a very interesting character. Um, one of my favorite scenes is when they're all like dreaming and he has a dream about like, him visiting Skillet's grave and the grave is like shaking and he's just like you tried little guy you tried the hardest that's such a good scene it's so creepy it's so like it's it's wonderful but yeah like Matt Harrigan's I had a I had a theory about that scene which is completely wrong because um Matt has directly said that that scene is foreshadowing for Skillet's death but yeah. originally, I thought that scene was like the Fitz and his wife scenes. I thought outside of the box of worlds, Liquor almost had a child and it was like a miscarriage or something. That's really cool. I like that. I like that element a lot. But we Liquor is probably my favorite character. It might, it might just be Matt Harrigan bias because I love Fish Center so much. But Liquor might be my favorite character, and we do also lose him in the revival, which I don't know if that's a story reason or not, because Matt Harrigan, like, you know, he was with Adult Swim up until he got fired, when everybody got fired, when they, you know, gutted William Street. But, um, like, so he was around, and he was doing Fish Center every day out of William Street, so he could have done lines for Liquor, but I wonder if it's, like, a story reason why they didn't, because we see Liquor... And like Rhoda in these like tubes in Invictus and the special. And we see these tubes get broken, which feels like set up for a season four. So I wonder if they made a season four, if liquor would come back, you know? I think it's implied that these tubes powered Cardboard City in some form. Because after yes. the tubes are broken, Cardboard City is like very dark and different. Yes. It's awesome. I love Liquor so much. I'm very sad he wasn't in any of the revival because he's probably my favorite character. 
Um, he's character design is also adorable. <laughs> like it's this is little like eyes on the side of his head. Like it shouldn't be cute, but it's it's adorable for some reason. But um, yes, liquor rules. He's one of the best characters. Uh, let's see. There's the there's we didn't talk too much about um Golden Joe and the Peanut Cop, who start off as joke characters, but they're kind of like they kind of have like their own major storyline throughout season three. Um, yeah, and a genuine like friendship between them that forms. Yeah, they become like good friends, and I love that. I love Golden Joe. I love Peanut. Um, the Peanut Cop is just like high all the time, and he has like one of the best high voices. It's so funny every time he says anything. It's so funny. Um, there's the Eye. Nick Weidenfeld plays the Eye, who oh, was very important to season three as well. It's kind of like um, a lot of characters gain or lose importance. I think as the show goes on, and season three has a lot of the Eye and has a lot of Golden Joe and Peanut. Like those three and Mouse are kind of like the big characters that really it's like those three mouse and rooster are like the big characters that really carry over to the third season because a lot of the third season is like doing a lot of stuff with different characters you know good um yeah let's see what else what else we got my notes here I don't know what the fuck xenomorphintation is because what like one of the best scenes is when um liquor and no it's loud liquor rooster and mouse are hanging out in like it's like a mouse dream sequence and they're talking about like um 901q which is q109 backwards is line code for xenomorphintation arachnid xenomorphintation and before season three came out my idea my general idea for that was I thought that um I thought that the show, like the Q109 was the simulation because we didn't know about the Boxer World yet. We just thought Q109 was a simulation they were all in. I thought Q109 was a simulation that was meant to test shape-shifting, which is what they're named for Xenomorphintation. And I thought that um, one of the characters, maybe Fitz's daughter, got put in the simulation as a, as Spider, the character Spider, because Arachnid Xenomorphintation sounds like shape-shifting to look like Arachnids to me you know yeah that's pretty much spot on with what i thought too um but they that is quickly proven at least somewhat wrong i think because there's the box the boxing world is meant to grow things and also one of the things that i never really got before that never really understood before the revival was the aspirin because the aspirin is very important there's like aspirin fields underneath the entire city that like um they're trying to harvest and i think that cardboard because cardboard city is one of the worlds in the box of worlds and i think that um i think that cardboard city is made to harvest aspirin you know that's um something i think is that there are a couple lines that mention something called the meat wars i think in the real world outside of the box there were these wars over like food and supplies and everything and that humanity is like crippled by something that happens and the box of worlds is originally built as something to help them recover but it turns into something that's still going to help them recover but they're going to like monetize the hell out of it and not actually like be nice about it yeah so when i i i think my theory my general theory for um what's going on in this show like my all-encompassing theory is that i think everyone like fitz and all his friends worked on the box of worlds but then they were placed inside it by like um 
by like industry man who's like the who's like the clock in the shadow and the main bad guy of the show but i think that um cardboard city is another world that's like inside one of the worlds and i think that um cardboard city is controlled by shark and the rectangular businessman and Fitz and the characters are all trapped in there during the first two seasons but when they get out during the end of invictus it sends them all over the box and they and they do break out but only they break out of one level basically i think it's like levels i think cardboard city is the most like buried level and when they get out and at the end of invictus they go out to like another level basically of all these other different worlds but i don't think they're in the full outside yet that's sort of like my general theory for what's going on with like cardboard city and everything what do you think i agree with that i think they used originally we were talking about this i thought another aspect of cardboard city was that they were using the corn dog farms to like make food and meat but then you reminded me that the corn dogs were something they brought in to make the corn droid to give them like a backup way to get out I think it could I I watched that scene again when I was doing my Zoo Day rewatch and I think it could be both. I cuz like um he never explicitly says it's the corn dogs but he's like um he's like Rooster says you told me it was coming bro. You told me to build the robots and you told me how to do it. Synthetic part synthetic something but like carbopolymers got him through man. They got him through mouse. They got through and we're going to get out. And they that scene happens and it pans over to the corn dogs. So that to me always felt like they brought in parts of like corn droid and stuff through the corn dogs. But I think it could be both. Like I think um, they could also be growing the corn dogs for like a reliable resource for like meat and stuff like that. So I think I think it could be both. But um, one of the, I think one of also this has a really there's a really 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 good concept in here that I haven't really seen in anything else where um they deploy anti language gas which is one of the most fucking horrific concepts ever and for like an episode or two the characters just like lose the ability to talk and it's awesome because like because a lot of Twelve Ounce Mouse's dialogue is very dreamlike it's very cryptic and so like um. They say the language is giving out and it's almost like a seamless transition from like normal mouse dialogue into just straight up nonsense. It's so creepy. It's so effective. I love it. It's just, it's, I, I think the language giving out is one of my favorite like concepts from the whole show. It's so good. I love the anti-language gas. There's uh, even a line shark says, and I'm, don't remember if it's either related to him stitching golden joe's mouth shut or it's related to the language gas but it applies both, to both, where he's like one of the most horrific things that could happen to someone is losing their ability to communicate it's so good like shark is so, such a good villain um i love when they rebuild like the annoying woman as like a terminator and i love the i love the little like squad of like mouse skillet and terminator that go around doing like action shit um so we've been talking about this for like at least an hour i think right yeah we can probably wrap this up we're definitely going to do more than one 12 ounce mouse episode because there's so much to talk about but um i'm gonna wrap this up talking about like what zoo day is and like why we're dropping this episode this week so zoo day is oh they reference it in the show because one of the characters what's his name producer man yeah 
producer man um has like some kind of relationship with the shark and he has like a and he's like it's me and you when we go to the zoo and he brings out like a shirt that just has like him and shark holding hands that says zoo day on it and all 12 ounce mouse takes place during um two 222 and so on february 22nd the date 222 12 ounce mouse fans rewatch the entire show i think the the fun way to do it is um to do all the original run on 222 and then the revival on 223 because the ending of the show is the clock turning 223 but um so zude is that's why we did this uh do you do you want I have anything else you want to say before we wrap, wrap up here um, there's something I've been wanting to bring up. It's a it's a small detail this whole time, but I didn't like figure out where to place it. But one line of dialogue that's really intriguing to me is in the very first episode when they didn't have any of the plot in mind yet. Shark tells Fitz to drive rectangular businessman to cheese industries, and he's just like, "You don't even know where that is. Everyone else knows, but that's why we picked you because you don't know." I feel like that line was like the very first seeds of like any like story. I think that too. That is very like that is very much seeding like what's going to come. But do you have anything else? I don't think so. All right, so you can follow me on Instagram at adult underscore swim underscore merch underscore archive. Um, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at, at owls only pod. You want to plug anything? You can follow my Twitter. The name is micro master, but the at is master micro because someone took the name I wanted. It's M A S T A M I C R O. That's pretty much my main social media. Classic. All right, so we'll see you guys next week. Goodbye.